Hey guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report, the first podcast to bring you the local fishing report for Alabama's lakes and rivers, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors magazine subscription and become a better southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Nobles, Books a Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rule King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. This week's episode is also brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. MallardBay.com is the Airbnb-style marketplace for discovering and booking your next guided hunting and fishing adventures. The Mallard Bay platform was built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Their mission is to help expand access to affordable and successful hunting by connecting you with verified outfitters across the U.S. You can browse trips and prices by state or species, select the dates you'd like to go, message outfitters, and secure your dates all from one platform, mallardbay.com. Not sure where you want to go yet? Reach out on Instagram or Facebook, and they can help you find your dream hunt. Also brought to you by AFCO, family-owned and operated. AFCO Fishing Apparel and Tackle are designed to handle the harshest elements and help you weather it any day on the water. From cold tournament mornings to the humid summers in Florida, our products are built to handle the extreme. We are proud to hear customer stories about the 20-plus year life cycle of the AFCO products. Visit AFCO.com, that's A-F-T-C-O dot com for on-the-water performance gear. What's up, guys, and welcome to the Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report. I'm your host, Brian Sin. Glad you guys are joining us today. Got an exceptional show lined up and uh, excited about it man and and uh, a lot of information gonna be coming at you in this show that i know a lot of people have uh have been waiting to hear a lot of it surrounding the the kusa and the talapusa but man great weather great time of the year to be out enjoying this gorgeous state that we have whether it's fishing whether it's hunting whatever you're doing i hope you guys are being able to get outside enjoy it uh, but let's get to the first segment, and this is a guy that I've reached out to. We've been trying to to get this lined up for a couple of weeks now. So, man, it's my pleasure to introduce y'all to Mike Holly, who is the District 2 Fisheries Supervisor for the state of Alabama. Welcome to the show, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for reaching out to us. Um, hopefully, we can help answer some questions today or at least, if nothing else, alleviate some fears that fishermen may be having. Absolutely. Well, before we get into that, you know, tell us about District 2 and tell us about your role and, and kind of what you do for the state and the fisheries program. Yeah, so District 2 covers uh, pretty much northeast Alabama uh, from Montgomery up to the Tennessee line up around Jackson County. So we have the Coosa and Tallapoosa River systems basically down through Jones Bluff where we monitor fish populations, um, you know, do the electrofishing surveys, and um, that's for the anglers. You know, their license dollars are going toward that work. Yeah. Are you a fisheries biologist? 
Yes, sir. It's me. So I'm the district fisheries supervisor. And then we have a management biologist that works out of this office with us. And he's considered a fisheries biologist. And then we have another guy based out of Auburn um, who also helps us out on the lower end of the Tallapoosa and Coosa. So we basically have three guys covering a pretty big area, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's a big area. Uh, did you go to Auburn? Did you get your degree from there? I did. I got my bachelor's degree at Auburn, uh, worked at Auburn as a research assistant for a few years, and then went back to grad school. And so basically most of the guys working with us, you know, have a graduate degree, a master's level degree in fisheries management. Good deal. What years were you there? I got my undergrad. I finished up in 2001. And so then I worked for almost three years in the department and uh, decided to go back to grad school and finished up in 2006. So I've been with Alabama from 2006 till now. Awesome, man. Well, you, you were you were a little behind me. I'm older than you are. So I, I was, uh, but War Eagle anyway. And, yeah, uh, hope, War Eagle. Yes, sir. It got a great program there. What an incredible fisheries program that Auburn has. And, and uh, man, those guys are, they're cutting edge on top of things. And as far as, you know, the Alabama, you know, wildlife and fisheries, do you work under Chuck? Sykes? Yes, Chuck is our director. And um, then, you know, we have some chiefs in Montgomery. And then when it gets branched out from there, we go out to district. So, like, I'm in district two, but we have five districts across Alabama that uh, are doing fish and wildlife work. Well, I could probably tell you some stories about Chuck, but I won't do that on air. I'll have to do that at another time. <laughs> me, <laughs> you know, me and Chuck both are West Alabama guys. You know, I grew up in uh, in Demopolis, and and he was in Butler over there, and and then we were both at Auburn together. But man, I that Joker kid killed some turkeys back in the day. I know that he's a he's done a great <laughs> job with the state of Alabama as well. He is. We are blessed to have Chuck at the head of this thing. Yes, sir. We, we're glad to have him at the helm right now. Absolutely. Well, let's talk, let's start off with, you know, let's start off with the Coosa. Uh, that seems to be kind of a, a, a kind of a hot topic right now. You know, the Coosa was, uh, man, you know, was doing, you know, it was taking 18, 20, 22 pounds. You know, I had even two years ago, I, I was having, guys call in from logan martin from lay lake that you know they were catching 60 70 fish days sometimes finding these giant schools of fish and uh it was taking a lot doing these tournaments and it's kind of it seems like that's this year in particularly uh maybe a little bit last year but this year in particular it seems like the weights have gone way down so Anytime that happens, you know, people start wondering and start having questions about what is what is going on with the lake. And so that's really one of the main reasons I'm excited to have you on the show today is to talk about from from y'all's end what you're seeing out there. And uh, so I'm going to let you run with that. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Things got really good, no doubt about it. And it wasn't just the Coosa. I mean, if you look from, 
like 2012 through 2018 in particular, that time range, I mean, fishing got really good. And the reason I say that is we've got data going back, both tournament data and electrofishing data back to the late 80s. So that's when we really started our standardized sampling. That's what we call it when we go out and electrofish. We've got this long history um, of, of what it's like. And on top of that, we also have the bait data, which is what bass anglers turn into us. It's called the bass anglers information team. Mm-hmm. And so our electrofishing usually correlates to what anglers are catching. But yeah, that 2012 to 2018 was just phenomenal. And it was statewide. It wasn't, like I said, just a CUSA. Uh, but now, you know, it's that old saying, what goes up must come down. And yeah, it is, you know, the fishing probably is coming down and anglers are probably experiencing lower catch. But what we see is down, it's actually come down to about normal over the long haul, you know, the history of the lake. So mm-hmm. just putting that out there, it, it's, yeah, it, it seems like the sky's falling, but when we look at our catch rates, it's actually pretty normal or, you know, what we would consider about average for the reservoirs. So in, in your electrofishing data from 12 to 18, I'm assuming it was exceptional, just like the catch weights were and just like the fishing was. But when you look at the hole for a lot longer period of time, where we are right now is not below average, but more average. It just happened to be that, you know, that span from 12 to 18 was exceptional. Is that, am I saying that right? That's correct. Yeah, exactly. So let's just say lay, for instance, um, the average catch rate may be like 50 to 55 largemouth bass per hour. Well, during those upswings, we may have got 60 or 70 per hour. And then now, you know, it could be slightly below that, like 40-something per hour, but it's not like the sky is falling. You know, every, it goes up and down, and, you know, we randomly select sites, so we're not, like, going to good places every time we sample. So there's a little bit of variability there, too. So um, that's why we look at averages over time. And like I said, everything is really coming back to about normal now. But the caveat to that, is pressure seems to be way higher than it was uh, even 10 years ago. So there could be some catchability issues where just the pressure, uh, especially during COVID, I mean, there were boats everywhere. So that could have an impact. Yeah, but as far as the fish population, we're not seeing anything detrimental. You know, we have guides and, and, and fishermen from all over the state and 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 I don't know that any of them haven't made the statement at some time through the last two years. They've been calling the show that that COVID is the best and the worst thing that's ever happened to fishing. <laughs> well, number one is it got people on the water. It was great for Absolutely. the industry. People had time. They weren't working every day. And so it got people on the water and people, more people were probably fishing during that time than, than ever. But with that, uh, like you said, it's, it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a negative 
too, because there are so many fishing people fishing that the fish are pressured. And it seems to be that, I mean, the tournaments, and we, we all love the tournaments. We support that. But there's a lot of tournaments. Uh, and so you've got, you got a lot of boats on these lakes, on Lay, on Logan, on, you know, all the, all the water across Alabama. It seems like the tournaments have gotten more and more uh, and bigger and bigger with more people in them. And, and that just equates to pressure, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and what you said is true. We're seeing that in our bait data. We're seeing more bigger tournaments. And one thing we don't pick up on our bait data is a lot of the wildcats that occur. You know, I'm talking about like afternoon tournaments, uh, midweek tournaments, Saturday mornings where 20 guys get together. and And those are really increasing. Like, you know, we see more of those now than I think we ever have. So, so yeah, I think tournament fishing in general has increased significantly. Yeah. So, uh, when y'all are doing the electro fishing, I mean, you're, you're like, you, you know, you're counting bass. Are y'all also looking at bait fish? We do. We don't, um, necessarily like, uh, collect them and age them like we do the bass so that, like for bass, you know, we know how many are in each year class. We know when they spawned and we can keep up with the recruitment that way. But we've never had any forage issues on the Coosa. And I'm mainly talking about shad when I say that. So, right. So, yeah, that's not something we have to really look at hard. You know, like if you go out there right now, I drive by the Coosa every, every day going back and forth to work. And, you know, there's just, shed all over the top of the water especially in the afternoons the last couple of weeks so yeah we we never really see an issue with with forage particularly on the coosa yeah it's got got a lot of bait fish i haven't had anybody complain about the number of bait fish out there that's for sure one of the other questions that that has come up is am i correct or or did i get the correct information that there was a, there used to be a, a stocking program to where I think one caller saying that, you know, like in March, first of the year or early in the year that, uh, they would give bags to the fishermen to take out to wherever they were going fishing at the tournament to turn loose. Uh, and that seemed to, and that was kind of during that time frame I think that you were talking about. So, I guess A is, uh, are, are, are we, are we stocking more bass? Is there plans to, how, how do you gauge whether that needs to be done or not needs to be done? Yeah. So when you're talking about, uh, giving bass to anglers, I think you're talking about the marks outdoors. Is that what you're referring to? That's correct. To? Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was. Yeah. So for that in particular, um, that was about 15,000 bass. They were given anglers during that Mark's Outdoors tournament. And honestly, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We were never able to correlate that to any kind of increase at Lay Lake in largemouth bass. And that's one of the biggest issues we face right now is just the, the mindset of anglers thinking that we can stock and improve numbers and that was never really a goal of stocking. Uh, we stocked Florida bass 
starting in 1970. Well, I can't remember the year, but it's been since the 70s. That's when we started stocking Florida bass. And the goal is just to get the genes out there, to get those Florida bass genes into the population. It's not to necessarily improve numbers. And so, yeah, stocking 15,000, I mean, it, it just, it doesn't correlate to more numbers of fish. And uh, it's a hot topic, but it's just what I was going to follow that up with is Jordan. So from 2015 to 2018, we stocked 300,000 largemouths a year in Jordan. And they were all Florida bass. And so we went back in 2020 to sample that population and we couldn't recover any of them. You know, none of the fish were pure Florida that we sampled. It maybe 1%, it was definitely less than 2% of the fish out there were pure Florida bass. So it, it's hard to take a few acres on a hatchery and expand that to reservoirs. Yeah, because this is some big bodies of water we're talking about, right? And so it right. would take a absolute gigantic amount of fish to really probably be noticeable. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense. What you're saying though, too, is, is, is you're trying, your stocking program isn't to get more population, but to get better genetics. All right, guys, let's take a few moments and hear from some of this week's sponsors. This segment was brought to you by Fish Bites. For more than 20 years, anglers everywhere have come to know one thing, that nothing says no to Fish Bites. We are the Fish Bites Nation, and this is your invitation. So grab some Fish Bites and get busy casting, because you can't join the nation without doing the catching. Ask for Fish Bites or Fish Club Lures, or visit fishbites.com. Also brought to you by... L&M Marine. L&M Marine has something for everyone, from small hunting boats, pontoon boats, to bigger bay boats, offshore boats, and hybrids. L&M Marine LLC prides itself on its customer service and knows how important it is to be taken care of and to have someone you can trust. They are locally owned and regularly support the community. L&M Marine provides superior customer service and has an entire team that consists of professional sales members, financial experts, service technicians, and a knowledgeable parts and accessory staff to support you. Go visit their friendly, reliable, and experienced staff now locally owned six miles north of I-10 on 34600 Highway 59 in Stapleton, Alabama, or call 251-937-1380. Is there any data on what percent of fish you stock, uh, what their survival rate would be? Because I'm, I'm yeah. assuming you're stocking like three-inch, three, four-inch fish. That's right. And, you know, when we say fingerlings, yes, you're talking about something three inches or less. And, you know, not even, it's not even 1% of those survive when you stock that size fish. And even when you go up to like an advanced fingerling, uh, obviously the price goes way up on those. And right. it takes a lot more time to get fish to eight inches in a hatchery. But so, yeah it's still minimal compared to what's out there. Like right now on these Coosa River reservoirs, uh, what we would consider an age zero bass, it hadn't reached age one yet. Their abundance is out the roof right now. I mean, there's just tons of them out there. 
but it's what happens during the winter usually that uh, winter mortality really knocks out those young bass. Why is the mortality increase in the winter? Well, for those fish that hatch out, you know, everything wants to eat them in the beginning. You know, right. it's, it's vicious out there in the fish world. But so once they lose that egg sac, um, the yolk sac that they have that they feed on for a while, they have to switch over to plankton and uh, zooplankton. And so every fish that hatches in the Coosa River eats zooplankton as a first meal. And so that's what gets them up big enough to start eating other fish. And so depending on when they hatch, what time of year it was, it's dependent upon them getting big enough to like eat young a year shed to get up big enough in the fall to put on enough fat reserves and, and get big enough to make it through the winter. So that's really the crux is, is getting a good early start putting on some fat reserves during the summer, early fall, and then making it through the winter. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, and I know that, you know, I had a, I had a, a some, some people reach out that, that were wanting to stock some bass in the Coosa. And like you said, and you shine some light on that already. I mean, my my mortality rate is is through the roof. I mean, 1%, that's not very, very good survival rate. But I think they had, Kent, the name of the organization is is eluding me right now, but uh, they were wanting to stock some bass in in Nakusa. And I think they were just waiting on a permit from the state to do that. What is y'all's stance on individual organizations stocking well obviously it has to be approved like you know that that's the reason that process is there people can't just stock fish in public water they're not supposed to right but yeah it's a process that has to get improved uh, i'm sorry has to be approved uh by our administrators and so um but i will say that you know if, if you're thinking about buying like fifty thousand bass their fingerlings it's just not worthwhile when you compare that to what happens naturally out there i mean just think about like three or four females in a cove could potentially hatch out fifty thousand fingerlings right it's a numbers game that people are not in the right mindset on on just how many fingerlings get produced out there so it's a ton. It's a, it's yeah, a ton absolutely. that naturally get produced. It's just the survival rate of them is is the important things. To me, it would make, you know, instead of stocking 50,000 fingerlings, you, you'd be almost probably better off stocking 5,000 larger fish, you know, 8-inch fish maybe, uh, just because the survival rate would drastically i think would go up yeah and and back to just the numbers game that that sounds like a lot of fish but but it's not uh, even in the research that we have and other states that we look at i mean even stocking advanced fingerlings you don't see a big return like one or two percent is good in those situations if you can even get that many to survive so uh, yeah, yeah, it's not the answer. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, 
Yeah, it sounds like stocking is is like the what you're hoping for when you're stocking is to just improve genetics with that Florida strain, uh, and then let them naturally. And then you hope you got some big females that are or females that are 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 restocking that genetics for you naturally in a lot bigger way than we can conceivably do it. Yeah, that's right, and and that's the whole goal. Like if you have a population of northern bass and you put in Florida bass stocking, whether it's fingerlings or advanced fingerlings, the goal of that is to just have a few of those spawn with your native fish and produce an F1, you know, a hybrid between the northern and Florida. But once that happens and your population is a mixture like what we have on the Coosa, uh, for instance, when you catch a bass on Lay or Jordan or Mitchell, they already have Florida genes. They're like anywhere from 30 to 50% Florida bass in terms of their genetic makeup. Wow. So, yeah. yeah and, and that's why now, you know, stocking Florida's doesn't help us right now because we've already got those genes out there. You can't stock enough F1s to really make them show up in the fishery. So, yeah, we, we've kind of run the course of, of what we can do with stocking Florida bass. Yeah. I think a bigger part of it is, is it goes back to what, what we were talking about at, at the first of it is just the sheer number of people fishing right now. It's not that the fish aren't there, but fish are just like, I mean, it's just like deer. I mean, if you put an extreme amount of pressure on deer, they go nocturnal. They don't move in the daytime. They don't, they're not, they don't, you know, they're not as easy to see. And, you know, same way with a bass. I mean, bass are, fish are survivors. And uh, with the extreme amount of pressure that they have now, somebody brought up, I've had several people bring this point up on the show. You know, forward-facing sonar is probably one of the most impactful advances that we've had in the fishing industry maybe ever and it is a absolute incredible tool but it it is fish can't hide anymore and so these these schools that you know especially in the summer months when the fish were in the deeper water uh, I know on Logan Martin, they, they get out there on these bait balls and they, and they just cruise. And so they don't see a fishing lure most, you know, for, for three, four months out of the year. Well, that's, that's over now. Uh, now they, they get a, you know, they they, they don't have a break <clears throat> because they get seen. Therefore they get fished. So it's just add, it's just added pressure. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we don't have any data that I can say yay or nay, it's impacting the population, but uh, you're absolutely right. Those, you know, the technology to find the fish is, is pretty awesome. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And, it's incredible. And so, yeah, particularly in the summer, too, uh, when those fish are schooled up offshore and on ledges, yeah, I mean, anglers can find them quicker today than they've ever been able to. And, it, and you know, you know, too, that it doesn't take long when somebody finds them. Well, two or three other people will find them by seeing where that guy was. And so, yeah, these fish are getting hammered pretty good. And 
Yeah, we're, we're actually taking a look at that, seeing if nowadays with the increased tournament pressure, particularly in the summer, is that knocking off, you know, a, a, a proportion of these bigger fish that is maybe higher than it was in the past. And yeah, we're we're kind of taking a look at that right now. Well, and it's not a and this that's not a COSA problem. I mean, we you know I've I've got callers from from the Tennessee chain and guides up there at, at Gunnersville and and in a you know and it seems like these summer months uh, when you know they these anglers look, used to look forward to fish going getting off to coming off the bed and moving out into some deeper water on these ledges and schooling up a lot of a lot of anglers that's their favorite time that's their favorite way to fish and uh the ledge fishing the last two years at gunnerful has drastically uh gone downhill to where there's you you don't find these big schools on these ledges anymore and they 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 correlate that with the fact that they're just getting hammered. I mean, you know how many, I mean, uh, we got a lot of people that fish on the Coosa, but I mean, Gunnersville's even got more uh, and more tournaments. Yeah, and right. and so those fish, those big schools out there, and it's catching most every, most bass fishermen catch and release anyway. But it's not just the, it's not a mortality. There is a mortality rate, uh, even if they are being thrown back. But just the the fact that man we're we're uncomfortable out here because we're 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 getting hammered so we're going we're going to do something different but uh do y'all have any data on mortality rate from these tournaments and things and catch and release well we, we started a new project this year with auburn looking at it it's actually occurring on neely henry reservoirs where the project is and uh, we have some older data uh, there was a big study at Martin back when I was in school that I got to participate in. And one of the things that, that's really eye-opening, and I, I think a lot of anglers don't really understand, is uh, the summertime mortality can be pretty significant. You know, once the water temperature gets close to 80, really upper 70s, that's when it's like an inflection point where, bam, you know, mortality starts going way up. Uh, so that's kind of like the critical temperature and it can be 50% to 70% of the fish die during those time frames in the summer when water gets way up, you know, above 80, close to 90. I mean, you're looking at some pretty significant mortality events and back 20 years ago, did that impact the population? Maybe not. Is it today? That's why we're looking at it. Uh, we're not sure. I mean, like we said, tournament participation is going way up. So we just need to put some numbers on it and see if it can lead to that uh, decline in bigger fish, which, you know, we're we're kind of seeing right now. It's, it's not a recruitment issue. We're seeing plenty of young fish, but yeah, maybe the big fish are dying off at a higher rate than they were. Yeah, especially like you said in those summer months. And from your standpoint, what why is the summer month why is the mortality rate go up with the water temperature? Well, first and foremost, the hotter the water gets, the less oxygen it can hold. Uh, so that's number one. But then uh, fish are also more susceptible 
to like diseases in the summer. You know, when you boat flip a bass and you remove that slime coat, that's just an avenue for that pathogen to affect that bass more significantly than it would have been. Hotter water, there's more bacteria out there so you can find those fish in a live well and more of them are more likely to get that infection. Um, so it's, I mean, there's a host of things that, I mean, we could talk all day about that, but I would say if, if fishermen like are looking at things they can help with right now, uh, instead of just hammering on us about stocking, you know, buy you a, a rubber mesh net and handle those fish better. Um, try not to have so many wildcats during the summer and big tournaments during the summer. And that's just a couple of things you can do. But like I said, that slime code is that fish's defense. And yeah. every time it gets knocked off, it, it's more likely to, to be infected. And then when it's congregated with other fish, you know, then the, the expectation of being infected goes up even more. Well, and, and Tucker Smith, um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, he brought this up and I thought it was very interesting because uh, it was something I really didn't know about, but it, it kind of goes back to those summer months as, as the water warms up and we get in those summer months, those fish go to deeper water. And when we're catching those fish, especially in a tournament situation where they're cranking those suckers from 25 foot of water up to the surface as quick as they can, their swim bladder <clears throat> doesn't have time to is to to regulate and if you uh and those fish a lot of those fish die unless you what do you call it mike where you you basically bleed off the swim bladder uh with a needle yeah so it, it's called fizzing i see it uh, is that what you're referring that's to it. yeah yes sir no i was just gonna say tucker one of the things that he brought up was you know that there's not near a there's a, there's a few of these tournament anglers that that you'll see that that do do that, but the majority probably don't. So one of his thoughts was, you know, is that it, it, to improve the numbers of of mortality from these summertime fish is for people to get better and learn and learn how to do that the correct way, and also make it like a a part of the summertime tournaments to, to almost require that being done. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I, I've never been a big fan of fizzing. The The research is still out on that in your lakes up North where the fish are really deep and, you know, they come up and they're super swollen and the water's cool. You can probably fizz those fish and them be okay. But from what we've seen, once a fish gets, that far in the summer i mean again not to sugarcoat it that thing's probably going to die i mean we don't have a lot of good research on fizzing yet so it can't hurt i mean you know if, if that fish is that far gone and uh you want to deflate that swim bladder then it might give him a, a better chance to survive but like i said when they get that far it, it's pretty much too late particularly like i said in the summer when uh, they're already stressed and uh, things are just not going their way so yeah and, and you know like on the coosa you know there's not really a thermocline on any of the coosa reservoirs 
So about 20 feet is about as deep as we have oxygen on the Coosa River. And like I said, there's not a thermocline. The temperature remains pretty constant from top to bottom. So um, it's not as big of an issue on our lakes as just the, you know, the overall mortality from low oxygen and being confined and getting these bacterial infections and, and things like that. That seems to be more of an issue than just the, the swim bladder being inflated. That's good information. All right, guys, let's take a few moments and hear from some of this week's sponsors. Baker's Metalworks and DC Supply. Baker Metalworks and Dixie Supply offer numerous items to help you get your project done right the first time. They carry a variety of different panel profiles in your choice of colors and gauges with all the matching trim and accessories. They also offer a full line of hardware items and post-frame building designs. Their friendly and knowledgeable sales representatives are always willing to help answer any questions or concerns you may have. Contact them with any questions or get a free estimate today. Baker's Metalworks and DC Supply, your metal roofing headquarters. Also brought to you by Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The days of heading out and blindly looking for good fishing areas pretty much over. Don't waste time and money on fuel searching for fish. You need the most recent, highest resolution images to not only know where to go, but where not to go. The knowledge provided by today's technology is critical when planning an offshore fishing trip. Make the choice that the professional captains all over the Gulf of Mexico make and choose Hilton's Real-Time Navigator. The easy-to-use interface and excellent customer service will have you on the fish every time you go. Check it out at Hilton'sOffshore.com. Well, one of the things, and and, and last but not least, and, and this is one of the things that that I'll, I would like to hear some feedback on, and I know others would as well, but what is y'all's stance? Are y'all on spraying these these lakes, Logan and Lay and Jordan, Neely Henry, all the, the Coosa, the Lake Martin, Tallapoosa? Uh, do y'all still spray a lot? We do not spray. Alabama Power is the one that's charged with keeping exotic weeds down, so so that's their uh, issue. and. Um, I tell you, I, I know what you're referring to. I know a lot of people are up in arms about spraying, and I'm not going to talk for Alabama Power, but I will kind of defend them. I mean, those guys have a job to do, and they're good at it. And when there's exotic weeds that don't need to be in the lake, that's primarily what they're targeting. Um, they will do some uh, boat docks and things where – homeowners request it but just to i guess put it out there i mean they're not impacting the spawn the limited concentration of chemical that they're using is is not impacting the spawn at all and you can you know if anybody wants the research i can lead them to it but uh while we were in school we even did some of this at auburn we took some small ponds that were replicated and filled some of them up with weeds left some clear and once the bass started to spawn in those weedy ponds i mean we put concentrations out of chemicals that was way more than what they're spraying on lay and we saw no issue with the recruitment even in those small ponds that we over treated so 
I know that probably won't be popular <laughs> with the <laughs> listeners, but you know what they're doing is not impacting our fish populations. You know, and and for for me, just my thought on it and and question that I had surrounding weeds, and y'all y'all aren't the ones that are spraying it, so it's it's not a reflection on you guys anyway. But you know, to me, I look, and there again you guys are the professionals and the biologists and man, I'm just a fisherman, but I look at it and I'm like, okay, if you've got, if you've got aquatic vegetation, you've got a place for the fingerlings to hide. So their survival rate goes up. You've, it just, and, and that's a big part of it. You've, I just enjoy fishing grass. <laughs> so I just, I like having some, some grass there. It makes it, it makes a lake more fishable in a lot of ways, but it, am, am I wrong on the mortality rate uh, or the survival rate after the spawn on a lake that has vegetation or aquatic vegetation and one that doesn't? No, I mean, uh, obviously we know that like 15 to 20 percent coverage is good that's sort of the rule of thumb for aquatic vegetation and you know you can ride out the lay lake right now and there's no shortage of vegetation i mean that i guess that's what i want to get across is they're not actively out there just removing water willow and native grasses they're actually targeting stuff that's not supposed to be there that could get problematic particularly, you know, hydrilla, milfoil, things like that, that can really take over an entire embayment. That's the things they're going to target. So yeah, 15 to 20% coverage is good. Exotics are not good. In the long run, you know, they can really lead to funding issues and and impacts that we really don't want in the long term. As, As you well know, like, you know, you compare the Coosa to Gunnersville, for instance, uh, in those embayments, there's not a lot of overbank area. And so when one of these exotics might get loose, which we hope they don't, you're looking at impacts that are, are not going to be good. It's going to take over those shallow water areas. And, you know, there's not much room left for the fish after that. And, of course, it, for anglers, yeah, it creates that edge and it, it makes them easier to catch. But it's not necessarily better for the fish population. Yeah. Well, like I said, I just like to fish grass. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's you know, and, and, uh, and I've always, you know, what the, you know, what the, what I've heard is that, you know, let's take Logan Martin, you know, that they spray all the grass in Logan Martin and kill all the grass in Logan Martin because it's a, you know, for recreational, weekend guys that are going out and to keep it off you know so many boat docks and boat landings and people don't want the grass around there and, and i understand that as a you know if i had a place i wouldn't want grass all the way around my boat dock either but the coosa is a it, it's one of those i mean logan's one of those lakes different than lay it's logan is one of those that you know is is shallow it gets deep fairly quick there's there's a fairly sharp drop off so if you had vegetation, it's just going to grow. It's probably not going to grow, but 10 feet off the bank anyway. Exactly. And then it'd be too deep. So, uh, I guess, I guess that's one of the, 
the things I was, I was, and, and maybe that's a misconception of mine is that they're spraying is, is that I've heard, you know, they spray Logan, they spray all the weeds and kill all the weeds, but sounds like that may not be the case. Yeah. I, I don't think that's true for Logan Martin for sure. Uh, it's a drawdown reservoir, as you know, so, uh, grass never becomes really abundant just because it's going to change a little bit this year. You're not going to see it quite as low as it was in the past, but you know, that five or six foot drawdown uh, really impacts the vegetation during winter. So that's the main reason you don't see it expanding like Neely Henry above it and lay below it, which are almost full pool or about a foot low at most during winter. Uh, that vegetation is able to persist better. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes, sir. Last question, and this is a off the wall question right here, but it was one that we were talking about this weekend. So I was able to this past weekend, I went up with several of the big guides, top guides, and uh, Pickwick, and we were smallmouth fishing with live bait. And man, they have just been it's been an incredible fall for the smallmouth up there. And we were just talking about smallmouth population and why they're in the Pickwick area and that's in some of the Tennessee river, but it's like, man, the Coosa is such a good, I mean, it's usually, it's, it's every, nobody's had good flow this year, good current this year. Cause we haven't had any rain, but <clears throat> why are, why are smallmouth not in the Coosa? Yeah. So, uh, smallmouth have never been native to the Coosa. Um, they're only in the Tennessee river drainage in Alabama. So, so yeah, they've, they've just never been there. Now we have had instances where they've been caught where probably somebody moved them, unfortunately, but, but yeah, that's not a species that we want to move into the Coosa because it's not native in uh, the Coosa or the Tallapoosa in my yeah. district. So. Yeah, and anytime you move a, a, a non-native fish, then it could impact the, the other fish, I'm sure. Absolutely. So we have our own strain of spotted bass. We've got the Alabama bass, which, you know, just do phenomenal on the Coosa and Tallapoosa. So we're, we're lucky to have those. I mean, that that's my favorite one to target. That's what I go after. So Yeah, absolutely. I love, love catching those Alabama bass. Yeah, 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 me too. They're they're good. They're fun. That's for sure. It's a good fish. Well, Mike, ma'am, I appreciate it, man. I, uh, it's been very very informational, and uh, ho hopefully this has shed some light on on the role and that that you guys are taking. And and um, you know, it sounds like that part of it. And I mean, and and we all know lakes are reciprocal. I mean, I think everybody. I don't think anybody would argue that that lakes go up and they go down and and you know we had a really good run uh on the coast and it sounds like it might just kind of be a down time and and yeah there's factors out there like the the fishing pressure probably being the biggest part of the factor of it but um it doesn't sound like it's a, a population problem is as much as it does maybe the the larger fish mortality rate from from the amount of people that are fishing and and just the fact that it's it's just it's how things go in nature uh things lakes go up and 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 there's there's seasons where they're the lake's great and then sometimes it's not 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt we we experienced some phenomenal fishing. I mean, I was looking back at tournament weights recently, and you saw those 25, 28-pound sacks around that 2015 to 2018 time range. And and that that's not normal for the Coosa River Lakes. I mean, you you can look back at the bass archives. I'm talking about bass masters. They have archives online. And, you know, everybody talks about how good it was in the past. But if you go back and look, they never caught that kind of weight like we did during that time frame when things got really good. So, I think it's an expectation thing, especially for the younger guys that maybe never fished the Coosa in the 90s or early 2000s. It's uh, when things start, you know, coming down, like you said, it's it's not normal to them, but, you know, they may have to adjust their expectations a little bit on what normal is. Well, if there's anything that the fishermen can do, and you talked a little bit about that, but what what can our role be in fishermen to improve survival rate or, or or just to make the lake go back the other way if there's a way to do it? Yeah, particularly for the big fish. I mean, those things are they're older. You know, when bass get to five pounds on the Coosa River, you're looking at a fish that's at least five years old. That'd be like the the really fast growing fish, but but most of them are like in that seven to ten year old age range so you know those it's not to be taken lightly you know when you catch a big bag of those take care of them like i said going back just simple things like getting a rubber mesh landing net and not boat flipping them you know and all the little things can add up and and yeah one thing that that kind of i've been looking at recently I, i grew up fishing the coosa river so I remember docks having tons of brush piles under them, and I don't really see that these days. So particularly the lakes that don't have a lot of vegetation, I mean, anglers can get involved in habitat programs, you know, putting brush piles out for these uh, young fish to hide in because not only will they die in the winter, but pretty much everything out there wants to eat them when they're just hatched or, you know, about three inches long. uh, like I said, it's pretty vicious out there. So there's plenty that folks can do, you know, as far as the big fish going to maybe paper weigh-ins where you take links or pictures instead of hauling them around in summer. That would definitely help keep those bigger fish in the system. So that's just a couple of things. Um, hopefully that helps a little. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I mean, any any time we, every little thing can add up to big things. If there's a whole bunch of little things, and whether it's the taking care of our bigger fish, and I, I like that idea of not of not hauling the fish back, especially in those summertime months, uh, and maybe do like you said, like a like the photo and and paper and and uh, send in your weights. I mean, there's all kind of there's all there, there's systems in place for that already. Uh, a lot of tournaments uh, already do that. Uh, so if more of them maybe bought into that, it could definitely add up to one way to help. And then the habitat in, obviously increase increase the uh, you know putting out trees or 
brush piles or anything that we create will help. Absolutely. If, if you know a, a dock owner, somebody that lives on the lake and, you know, anglers could even volunteer to, to put brush under their dock, you know, if they would let them. Any kind of, you know, woody debris that stick is, is really good for juvenile fish, you know, the place for them to hide where they don't get consumed. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, I, I would love for you to keep me posted, and, and, and I'm sure we'll talk more uh, and again in the future have you back on. But, I th- man, that what y'all, that study that Auburn's doing at Neely Henry right now, man, I would I would love to, to see what kind of data. I don't know how long it'll take, how long the study is, but uh, that'll be some very, very interesting information that they're gathering up there. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, right now, we're only, you know, just six or seven months into it. So it, it's sort of in the infant state right now, but they're collecting some really good data. So they've got radio tag fish out there. They've got a regular tag fish where it's like a yellow spaghetti looking thing sticking out of the back of the fish that anglers can call in and return. And, and then they're also tracking those fish all throughout the year to see which ones die how they die, whether it's natural or just from catch and release or in a tournament. I mean, we're looking at all phases of mortality and having all those different kinds of tags out there and being able to follow these fish allows us to figure out, okay, are they just dying naturally? Is it angler induced? Uh, And it can really, like we can go out and get an age sample and get a mortality rate but a lot of times we're having to estimate what part is natural, what part is fishing. But when we put these tags out there, we can divide that up and say, okay, this is where the bulk of the mortality is coming from. And, you know, back in the 90s, we had largemouth bass fires, which knocked out a lot of big bass. And um, it Say that again, recover, we had what now? Uh, largemouth bass virus. Oh, virus. Okay. That, yep. Yeah, so that hit us back in the mid-90s and lasted three or four years and and really knocked down big fish. So, you know, these things happen. We may find out with this Neely Henry study that, you know, maybe it's natural mortality again that's just coming through the system. But no doubt it's not just the CUSA. You know, we're seeing this statewide and pretty much in the southeast. So it's just natural occurrences that happen and some things we can control and some things we can't, but we can definitely look harder at it when these things happen. And that's normally what we do so that in the future, you know, we have a better handle on how to deal with it. So. Well, and that's great. That's great stuff. And, and the one thing that I hope the, the listeners can, can take away from this is I can assure you, and, and, and I think you can just hear it in, in Mike when he's talking, but nobody wants our fisheries to be better than these guys do. That's their job and their mission and is to, to make these lakes as good as they can possibly make it for the bass, the crappie, the brim. But there's the health of the lake, uh, and the fishing is a huge part of that. And so... Uh, they are our advocates for sure. They're they're in no way are they against us and trying to make doing anything that they think is going to make these lakes worse. Their sole job is to make it better, and so they're they're on our side 
uh, as fishermen. So, Mike, man, thank you very much for taking the time to get on here today and and share. Uh, I hope that uh, our listeners have gained some inside information now that they may not have had before. And hey, it is what it is, and and that y'all are doing studies and and things that'll hopefully tell us in the future how to you know shed some light on ways that we can improve things even more but but man we appreciate it thank you thank you for your time thank you for being on the show yeah thanks brian thanks for reaching out i I appreciate it all right thank you this segment was brought to you by united bank united bank knows what an important role agriculture plays in our local economy at united bank they are here to support local farmers with financial products and services designed specifically for agribusiness including real loans for farmland equipment loans working line of credit and more truth is they deeply value the contribution agriculture plays to our community and they help our local farmers build successful businesses they want to see you succeed learn more at unitedbank.com or stop by any united bank branch United Bank, all loans subject to credit approval, equal housing opportunity lender, member FDIC. And brought to you by NorthAlabama.org. Are you looking for a real adventure? Whether you are experienced or just a weekend angler looking to land a big one, North Alabama is the place to go for your next fishing expedition. North Alabama is home to eight picturesque lakes. Pickwick, Wilson, Wheeler, Weiss, Smith, Neely Henry, Lake Gunnersville, and Bear Creek Lakes. Each lake is well stocked with a variety of fish, and in North Alabama, fishing is great year-round. For more information, visit www.northalabama.org and click on Plan to download a North Alabama fishing guide. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Hey, what... I thought it was an awesome show, man. Mike did a uh, tremendous job, I think, detailing out some different things and different issues that that we may think are happening right now. We may not know. And and it sounds like to me that it's just, you know, it's a reciprocal thing. I mean, fisheries go up and they go down and we're kind of in a down cycle right now. And who knows, next year, maybe we start back up into an upward trend. But, you know, these guys are fishermen, you know, just like Mike himself. I mean, he's a he's a big fisherman. He wants these fisheries just from his own selfish standpoint as a fisherman. He wants these fisheries to be as good as they can be. They are they're doing studies. They're they're doing their research. They they want it to improve. And so we get we get frustrated when when things aren't good and. You know, and, and it's it's always nice if there's somebody to blame, but sometimes there's sometimes there's not. Sometimes it's just nature. And um, anyway, great show. We really appreciate his time and appreciate him being on here as things, as studies that they have going on, uh, as they start getting information. Uh, we will definitely be talking with Mike and getting him back on here, but that's going to be a show for the day, guys. Uh, appreciate y'all listening this week. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review wherever you listen. And if you'd like us to email you the show, we'll do it each and every week. All you got to do is text the word fishing to 314-665-1767 and we'll email it to you each and every week. Stay safe out there, guys. Keep enjoying this beautiful state of Alabama, and we'll talk to you all next week.
This week's Alabama Freshwater Fishing Report was brought to you by Southeastern Pond Management. If you want to grow big fish or healthier fish or just get your lake in better shape, call Southeastern Pond Management. You can call Norman Latona at 205-288-1371 or just look them up, southeasternpondmanagement.com. And brought to you by Bucks Island. Bucks Island has been in business since 1948 for all of your new and used boat needs as well as motor sales and services and now they have a pro level tackle store. Visit them online at bucksislands.com or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And brought to you by Killer Dock. Killer Dock combines durability, function, and design to uniquely upgrade your entire dock experience. Visit KillerDock.com to check out the greatest fish cleaning station known to mankind. And by MB Ranch King hunting blinds and feeders are built to last right here in the USA. We also offer high quality, easy to use corn and protein feeders that can be filled with both feet on the ground. Call Kevin today for more information or get a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King, built in the pursuit of perfection. And by Photonist Defense is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. These ultralight, ultra compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. Photonist Defense, Masters of Darkness. And brought to you by OutdoorAlabama.com. That's where I learned the basics of how to hunt and fish, including what's in season and which license to buy. Learn more at OutdoorAlabama.com. Go hunt. Go fish. Get outdoors. This message was brought to you by the Alabama Department of Conservation and Natural Resources.